Morphic resonance is a connection across time from the past to the present. And it's a process that occurs between organized patterns of activity on the basis of similarity. What it means, in effect, is that each species has a kind of collective memory. So every giraffe tunes in by morphic resonance uh, to the form and to the behavior of previous giraffes. Um, every crystal, as it crystallizes, tunes in to the way that previous crystals of the same chemical crystallized in the past. So there's a kind of memory given by morphic resonance in all kinds of things. And in the realm of animal behavior, for example, it leads to quite striking predictions. If rats learn a new trick here in London, then rats all around the world should be able to learn the same trick quicker, just because the rats have learned it here. The more that learn it, the easier it should get everywhere else. And there's already evidence that this actually happens from studies of rats in laboratories. Um, when lots of rats have learned something, other rats all around the world find it easier to learn. And this doesn't depend on any normal kind of connection between uh, the different rats or the places. It happens because of morphic resonance on the basis of similarity. The same applies to crystals. When a new chemical is made for the first time, it's usually very hard to crystallize it. And as time goes on, it gets easier to crystallize all around the world. And uh, I think the reason for this is that morphic resonance connects up the crystals so they tune into a kind of collective memory. So morphic resonance works through morphic fields, the organizing fields of chemicals and biological systems. Um, and the word morphic comes from the, the Greek word for form. So it's a kind of resonance to do with form, pattern, and organization. I, I take synchronicity to be more a matter of meaningful coincidences, where seemingly separate events coalesce to, to give a kind of meaning. All right, guys, welcome back to the... There is that, it is that fucking mosquito. <laughs> I hate mosquitoes. There's one buzzing around in here, and I can hear it through my headphones. It's been fucking with me for like half an hour. Oh, Maybe man. it's a drone. Anyway... We're going to be talking with Rupert Sheldrake a little bit later. Uh, but first, the gaseous ground dumb How's it going tonight, buddy? Gaseous or gaseous? Gaseous. Oh, gaseous? Oh, Morpheus. Gaseous. Morpheus? I'm like water. I can be in many different forms. Three. <laughs> Everything can be in three forms. Hey, man. I'm doing good. Solid, liquid, gas. I'm excited That's as usual. <laughs> We've got Red Pill Junkie here with us too, who's a infamous Fortean blogger at uh, many many sites, like Intrepid Magazine, Mysterious Universe, and the Daily Grail. So uh, welcome back, Red. Hey guys, how's it going? Good to see hear you again, buddy. <laughs> I, I didn't know you were only fourteen. Fourteen. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Well, that's. That's the thing about being a Mexican, you know. You you can hide your your age and other things pretty well. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> like, what other things? <laughs> Let's not go there. <laughs> so, yeah, we're pretty excited to have Rupert Sheldrake on. Uh, that was a great chat with him. He's doing some fantastic stuff. Merging. Yeah, it would have been nice to go a little bit longer, but he's a busy man, so we'll take what we can get. I think we got about ended up with about 20 minutes, give or take a minute or two. And, uh... Fuck, he was just getting waiting to go on his thing, right? He had a thing that night. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he had a, he was at a conference or something like that. I got an email this morning from my mom. Your mom? Yeah, it said, uh, forwarded to her from her friend saying, please, this is a very interesting article. Please forward it to Graham. Thanks. And it was uh, from Rupert Sheldrake. The email there? Okay. Oh, no, no, the article. No, was an article, was... yeah. yeah. That's not really... That is uh, not a synchronicity. No, I'm not saying it was. Hey, did you go to the website? Are you on the website? Yeah. Did you go to the thing? Yeah. Did you see the comment? Yeah. About the 1111? Yeah. That's exactly when it says uh, synchronicity of the highest order. Think that's worth anything? I was going to comment back saying that that actual synchronicity didn't turn out. So to, Yeah, so that makes this one probably nothing that's even worse. That actually compounds the fucking the other one. 1111? Yeah, makes it worse. Uh, if it would have been an eleven eleven on a real synchronicity, it would have like positive, positively exponentiated the synchronicity. But instead, it's negative. So instead of like ten to the power of two, it's ten to the negative power of two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did find that kind of ironic. So, Red, what do you what do you got uh, for us this week? Anything new and exciting yeah. in the world of uh, strange? I think I have. One story that is very appropriate to be shared with you guys for the intro before the Robert Sheldrake interview. Ah, okay. So here is an article that was published on the English newspaper, the Daily Telegraph, last week. No, actually, well, Tuesday, July the 8th, so no. Well, anyway, so... Isn't that this today? Is the, no, uh, tomorrow. I, no, I, <laughs> I think this. That's wow, it's, it's a good <laughs> it's article. You're reading it from message, the future. It's a message from the future. <laughs> so anyway, the headline of the of the article is this: BBC staff told to stop inviting cranks onto science programs. And this is what you, it reads. Which, which, sorry, hang on a sec. BBC oh, staff. BBC staff. Wow. Okay. Okay. So this is what it says. BBC journalists are being sent on courses to stop them inviting so many cranks onto programs to air, quote, marginal views. The BBC Trust on Thursday published a progress report into the corporation's science coverage, which was criticized in 2012 for giving too much airtime to critics who oppose non-contentious issues. The report found that there was still an over-rigid application of editorial guidelines on impartiality, which sought to give the other side of the argument, even if that viewpoint was widely dismissed. Some 200 staff have already attended seminars and workshops, and more, more will be invited on courses in the coming months to stop them giving undue attention to marginal opinions, says in quotes. The trust, the trust wishes to emphasize the importance of attempting to establish where the weight of scientific agreement may be found and make that clear to audiences, wrote the report authors. And, okay, so let's stop here for a minute. 
So here it says that the BBC received a lot of complaints in 2012 for giving too much airtime to critic to to cranks. Now I ask you guys, who do you think sent those criticisms? Psychop. <laughs> exactly, Psychop, <What>? skeptic <laughs> groups. Wow, yeah. It doesn't say here, but it's. I mean, it's obvious. Yeah, Those yeah. are the guys who are always complaining. And also, let's let's stop here for a minute because, uh, you know, the rest of the article talks about climate change and how the BBC. That's what it's all people. about, isn't it? Well, that's one. They of don't the want main. people on there that don't agree with the fucking doctrine. Yeah. Well. Okay. And you guys know that in this uh, particular topic, I may be aligning more with the quote-unquote official or sanctioned, you know, 97%. Meaning that I am maybe more convinced than you guys that uh, climate change is of anthropogenic origin. Climate warming change? (laughs) So, but but getting, again, the reason why I chose this one uh, to be... uh, be discussed with you guys here prior to the Sheldrake interview is because if you if we understand this correctly, this means that Robert Sheldrake will never set foot on a BBC studio again, you know, or at least it won't be invited to to give his opinion on some uh, scientific topic deemed quote unquote too controversial by you know skeptics. Huh. So how do they get to have that much clout? That's what that's what gets me. Because they are militants, you know. They are on this shit twenty four seven. They have a lot of uh, support, and they they make it their business to to complain about who they deem are not worthy of of receiving so much attention by the mainstream media. I think Sheldrake would be okay still. No, I don't know. After it's, what happened? No, no he's, he's right in the thick of it, man. They're, they, have a, they have a hate on for him big time. Yeah, the psychop and the skeptic with guys. With, remember what happened with TEDx? Yeah, yeah. So do you think Philip Comella, our, one of our next guests, talking about the collapse of materialism would be welcome on BBC? Mm, maybe <laughs> I doubt it if he gives a, a guy kind of a, from a philosophical standpoint look look. the thing is that BBC like any company they are afraid of being sued you know and there are some topics that are deemed more controversial than others you know if you're talking about climate change there's one thing you're talking about for example, in the United States, the anti-vax movement. That's even more controversial because it has the potential to really yeah, I mean, harm. I can totally understand of, that, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know, and, and you know, uh, you mentioned earlier that I contribute to an, uh, several sites, you know, mainly the Daily Grail. And on the Daily Grail, we deal with very controversial subjects on a, on a weekly basis, you know, and sometimes members uh, post or comment on things that I don't happen to agree with. For example, take um, chemtrails, you know, I 
I'm completely skeptical about the whole chemtrail conspiracy theory. I, to me, it has really no no basis whatsoever. But that doesn't mean I'm going to ban or censor a member for posting something about chemtrails. You know, we don't go there. Be- and maybe I think the reason we choose to conduct ourselves that way is because we give, maybe perhaps we give more credit <laughs> to our audience than the BBC, you know, because the usual, the skeptic argument is, oh, why never think of the children, you know, the people who are, according to them, too stupid to know when uh, any given theory lacks uh, any merit whatsoever, mm-hmm. you know. So basically, they are the grown-ups who are trying to prevent the children, meaning the rest of us, you know, from polluting their minds with with nonsense. And we, on the Daily Grail, <laughs> we we choose to think of our audience as adults, you know, capable of discernment, capable of of making their own decision, making their own choices, you know. They, of researching the matter further. I don't I think you're okay as long as you I don't know. I because the BBC's got some pretty fucked up shit on it. Like I see I've watched stuff on the BBC channel that's crazier than like fucking ancient aliens. And there's some mm-hmm. pretty crazy episodes of ancient aliens. I think you'll be okay as long as you don't fuck with the global warming agenda or whatever other agenda they got going on at that time. Yeah, but I think that the reason this is worrisome is because it's gone in the uh, 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 like it's it's the beginning of a trend, I believe. Like last year, uh, Popular Science decided to 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 have to deal with similar issues. You know, whenever they had to to deal with controversies surrounding climate change or or another hot topic, so their solution for that was easy. <laughs> they got rid of the comment section on their on their web page, you know. Yeah, yeah. So that's I I honestly think they're doing a disservice to their readers and to their to their to their audience in trying to 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 make them think that in some scientific uh, matters, you know, yeah, I mean, there's the, the like the issue is completely settled, you know. Let's like. Getting back to climate change, you know, you you guys know my, my stance, but even I wouldn't go as far as to say that the issue is completely settled because nothing in science is a hundred percent settled. Yeah, it's disappointing to me when when they get so much influence over big yeah. companies like that and big multimedia companies where they can all of a sudden trigger all yeah. these meetings that say, and I don't know, what did they name any names? Like, did they talk about? They named Graham Dunlop specifically. <laughs> No, you were fucking bad from the BBC. It's a good thing they said Graham instead of Graham. They said Graham. <laughs> no, in case of... Uh, I do not like Graham and eggs. <laughs> in the case of the, the climate change, they, they name Andrew Montfort, who runs the Bishop Hill Climate Skeptic blog, former children's television presenter Johnny Ball and Bob Carter, a retired Australian geologist, are among the other climate skeptics that have appeared on the BBC. All climate skeptics? Well, they are mentioning climate skeptic, climate change skepticism, but to me it's clear that 
this particular issue can be extrapolated to other uh, controversial topics where someone who def differs from the uh, orthodox viewpoint will be deemed a quote-unquote crank, you know? And, and to me, the problem See, is... See, I think it's naive to think that that hasn't been going on for 50 years. Yeah, obviously. But maybe now it's getting even harder. You know, it's getting even more... It's more polarized, right? Like, this yeah. is... It's, it's hard for me to wrap my head around it because when we talk to people like uh, our guest coming up tomorrow, Philip Kamala, The Collapse of Materialism, or Rupert Sheldrake, and all this work he's done, it really feels like it's opening up because there's so much evidence coming out that shows that our world is not quite what we think. It's not just, you know, meat and potatoes... Plus, television is a dying medium anyway. Yeah, but that yeah, that's a good point. But it's it seems to still be growing. Each side seems to be growing, right? The people that want to accept that there's something else out there and the people that want to uh, maintain our current worldview. And they really want to shut us up, you know what they'll do? You know who doesn't have time to fucking question their worldview? People who are getting bombs dropped on them in some crazy war. Well, that's that's how you that's how you slow down global consciousness fucking development. No, I think what happens is that you know some young BBC staffer or reporter who ideally will you know research a particular story for when a whole week or a whole month before you know knowing who to invite and just how to, what to present in the in in, in this in a, in a program. You know that that will be the the ideal scenario, but we all know that's not the case at all. You know these guys, you know they have to decide what content to to put in into the, the, the program in maybe a matter of hours. And you know, what the and agenda see, is going to be and all that. Yeah, since yeah. they don't have the time or maybe even the wits to 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 try to 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 learn about something they're going to <laughs> talk about on the uh, during the air time. You know. They prefer to go, you know, and say, okay, they're deferring to authority and say, okay, so according to science, according to the academics, this is the, the what's happening, and everyone who is who disagrees or dissents, okay, so those are the cranks. And to me, the problem is that, okay, the skeptics might say science is not a democracy, and I agree, you know, science is not about, you know. Who, who are the, the, the who are the, the most people who support a given uh, point it's of view? It's not a consensus. Exactly, it's not a consensus. So science is not a democracy, but it also shouldn't be a tyranny, you know? Yeah. In which you quell or you eradicate dissent, because sometimes you really do need that dissenting voice willing to speak up and point out that the emperor doesn't have any clothes, and not only that, that he has a really, really big, small dick, you know? What? <laughs> Poor little dick bastard. Yeah, exactly. but you can't play, it's not science's fault. No, it's not. No, it's, it's the institutions and the yeah, money and the governments. And, yeah, because there is no science. There's only scientists conducting themselves, trying to apply the scientific method, and they are... They they are based on this hierarchical system, you know, run by academies who are very 
very strict in their in their methods and in the way they they do business. Huh. It'll, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what uh, what happens. I, I this is one of the things that I can't wait for ten or twenty years and see what it's going to look like. You know, where are we going to look back and, and go, wow, there's a completely new scientific theory that explains way more than they we could in 2014 you know like how long yeah, is it going to take for something to crack wide open here yeah we're, we're probably complaining about other things you know even though some things will be you know reluctantly accepted by the mainstream you know yeah, I mean, I keep coming back to more of the stuff we talk about, but the global warming thing is the is really the, you know, the, sorry, climate change or whatever is really the, the hot topic that's really gonna. <laughs> I don't know what's gonna happen to that. Fifty yeah. years down the road. I mean, we had a couple guys on talking about global cooling, right? And they talked about that in, in the seventies. So. Yeah, and let me tell you. You know, the guy who talked about global cooling in Grand America, honestly, he didn't convince me. Honestly. But having said that, uh, when I heard that episode on the Joe Rogan experience with this guy, Randall Carlson, yeah. you know, who he, he is a, he's a guy who studies... Uh, sacred geometry and also catastrophism. He calls himself a geomythologist, and he discussed global warming and climate change with Joe. And uh, his opinion made a lot of sense. I mean, he was of the opinion that yes, humans are are having some influence in the climate, but maybe that influence is as not as as big as uh, modern science will think, because there are many other things that we may not be taking into account. Yeah. Like, Mainly for example, the sun, so, the sun yeah. among, among other things. So that, uh, that made sense. You know, the other thing you got to think of is that fucking never once in human history has the Earth been in the same spot in space. You know what I mean? It's not like we're just hanging out in the same corner. Who knows what we're fucking flying in and out of and through and unpredictable. Yeah, maybe we're just going through the same position in the galaxy that uh, the planet uh, was like 10,000, 12,000 years ago by the end of the last ice age. No? Yeah, yeah. Did you see that example of the, the Earth's... Uh the earth's field like our atmosphere getting blown to bits be if we we're if we were closer to some sort of uh there's some event that happened across the universe somewhere and, and they, been, they had right? a simulation of like if the earth was here like 20 million mm -hmm. miles away like it just shatter our atmosphere that must have been a supernova might have been yeah oh yeah if if a supernova exploded like 10 to 20 light years away from us we are fucked yeah i don't think it's even limited to that i think those things can fucking fly across 100 million light years and if they're that still fucking if you happen to be in that fucking beam yeah. you're fucked what a pushover yeah yep what get that what a pushover supernova it's an old frankie goes to hollywood song you don't get it no i'm not i'm just fuck i'm young <laughs> 
I forget you're not an 80s kid. Yeah, most, you're a little older than you seem. I just went like way over the head of most of our <laughs> listeners. Like, what the fuck? What the fuck is Graham talking I'll about? I'll find a clip for the, the show to put in the music. Oh, your sister got it. What? What is she doing? She's getting your jokes. Is she here? You're lucky. Somebody's getting your jokes. If she wasn't here, nobody would be getting your jokes. <laughs> Unless Sibling your PJ support. got the jokes. <laughs> so that was a good one, Red. What's uh, What else you got for us? You, were, you guys want to talk about UFOs? Yeah, always. Okay. On July 2nd, uh, did you happen to know that the CIA opened a Twitter account? No, but I'm looking for it right now. You Isn't follow that like, it? No, obviously not. Isn't obviously that like the not. most bizarre thing, you know? A spy oh, yeah, look at that. Agency, it's verified. A spy agency that wants to be popular. Like, well, okay. no, they just need to get on board because we are the everybody nation. else hey, is listen there. to this. This is our profile. We are the nation's first line of defense. We accomplish where others cannot accomplish and go where others cannot go. Right. Langley, Virginia. Should I follow him? A farm. So no, anyway. don't, don't follow him. <laughs> There's no point in following him. I only follow 25 people. I wonder if I can get them to follow us. What would I have to say? What buzzwords does my tweet have to have to get followed by the CIA? I don't think you want to find out. No? You think no. they'd come all the way up to Canada? Pretty here, no, buddy. They wouldn't, they wouldn't need to go. Don't you think that the CIA has ties with the Canadian government? Is, don't you guys have a, a, some kind of uh, intelligence? CSIS. Okay, this is... Yeah. That's not a real thing. That's just some numbers, uh, letters they put together so we don't look like we're so behind the times. It's, it's probably hey, what letters you got in that toolbox? <laughs> Go spray it on the side of that truck. C-S-I-S. It's a bunch of CSIS? I don't know if it's C-S-I-S, but it's probably Canadian Secrets Intelligence Service or something. Okay. Yeah. I bet, yeah. I'm pretty close to being right on that one. Okay, so anyway... The reason I'm bringing up the CIA's Twitter account is because on the Ju July the 2nd, they sent out this tweet. Remember reports of unusual activity in the skies in the 50s? That was us. You know, and, and, and along that, they embedded uh, a PDF file about the CIA and the YouTube program from 1954 to 1974. Ah. So then I found, ah, sorry, I don't know why this goddamn page has sound. Anyway, this uh, article from a Nor Norwegian newspaper, The Local, which reads, Norway's, Norway's UFO mystery of 1950s finally solved. So it's, uh, it reads, the CIA has revealed sightings of mysterious flying craft, crafts traveling at high speeds with flashing lights were actually test flights of U.S. military aircraft. Top secret U-2 spy planes flying at 18,000 meters created the phenomena and the CIA recently posted on the Twitter, Twitter account reports after posting newspapers saying, well, what, what what I just read. The official explanation was kept secret to avoid the Soviets' learning of U.S. military intentions during the Cold War. Huh. So, well, if you I look mean, at that, it's like their whole Twitter feed is all about that. 
Yeah. It's they they like celebrated the first flight of the U two spy plane. I think it was on June the thirtieth. But he, this is what gets me, guys. You know, a, the CIA uses a lot of hashtags and talks about selfies. One of their hashtags is "sorry, not sorry." Look, what, this is what gets me, and uh, and I tweeted this on my account. You know, so apparently, all that it takes to close a whole chapter on UFO cases history is one tweet. simple fucking tweet. Yeah, and everybody is willing to give the CIA a free pass. They don't don't provide any evidence about you know trying to correlate. Uh, UFO cases in, Nor- in Norway, you know, with specific, you know, missions, uh, right, right, done performed by the by, by the YouTube planes, you know, that that uh, PDF file they release, uh, which by the way, I don't know why, but you can do a proper <laughs> word search with it, you know, you type on Acrobat Reader, you know, UFOs, it doesn't. Uh, doesn't give you any results, but on page 72, there's only one very small paragraph mentioning UFOs, and it it reads, high-altitude testing of the U-2 soon led to an unexpected side effect, a tremendous increase in reports of unidentified flying objects, UFOs, in the mid-50s. In the mid-50s, most commercial airliners flew at altitudes between 10,000 and 20,000 feet, and military aircraft like the B-47s and B-57s operated at altitudes below 40,000 feet. Consequently, once U-2s started flying at altitudes above 60,000 feet, air traffic controllers began receiving increasing numbers of UFO reports. Such reports were most prevalent in the early evening hours from pilots of our liners flying from east to west when the sun dropped below the horizon of an airliner flying at 20,000 feet, the plane was in darkness. But if a U-2 was airborne in the vicinity ah. of the airliner at the same time, its horizon from an altitude of 60,000 feet was considerably more distant. And being so high in the sky, its silver wings would catch and reflect the rays of the sun and appear to the, to the airliner pilot 40,000 feet below to be fiery objects. Even during daylight hours, the silver bodies of the high-flying U2s yeah. could catch the sun and cause reflections of or glints that could be seen at lower altitudes and even on the ground. At this time, no one believed man flight was possible above, above 60,000 feet, so no one expected to see an object, an object so high in the sky. But here's the interesting part, you know, continuing on the next page. Not only did the airline pilots report their sightings to air traffic controllers, but they and ground-based observers also wrote letters to the Air Force unit at Wright Air Development Command in Dayton, charged with investigating such phenomena. This in turn led to the Air Air Force's Operation Blue Book, based at Wright-Patterson. The operation collected all reports of UFO sightings. Air Force investigators then attempted to explain explain such sightings by linking them to natural phenomena. Blue Book investigators regularly called on the agency's project staff in Washington to check reported UFO sightings against U-2 flight logs. 
This enabled the investigators to eliminate the majority of the UFO reports, although they could not reveal to the letter writers the true cause of the UFO sightings. U-2 and later Oxcart flights accounted for more than one half of all UFO reports during the late 1950s and most of the 1960s. So basically, like here, the CIA is officially acknowledging that Blue Book was a bunch of baloney. Wow. You know, that, you know, even if someone saw uh, uh, something in the sky that they knew was a secret, uh, one of their secret spy planes, you know, they will tell, you know, the, the witness, you know, you just saw, you know, uh, the reflection of Venus, you know, bouncing off some swamp gas coming out of the backside of a, 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 a bunch of geese flying in the, in, the, in, the, in the sky or whatever. That sounds about right. Exactly. But don't you see? I mean, so they are admitting that they lied to the public in the 1950s. But we're supposed to take their word uh, about uh, what Everything happens. Else. Yeah, r- r- yes, by, by now, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I don't know, guys, but fool me once. Shame on you, but fool me twice. Shame on me. <laughs> so what do you guys think? I don't know. I think it's... Uh, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure that, a lo- that, that were a lot of UFO cases in, in, in that era, you know, in the 50s and 60s. That, that were explained from the U-2. Yeah, like, I like the... It makes sense to me that if an airliner is flying below... And the sun is still up at, you know, 60,000 feet that you're going to see that glinting. I mean, I've seen sun glinting off of planes before and it's damn bright even in the day, right? So, but that's yeah. not, that doesn't explain all of them. I mean, they make it seem like that just explains the whole phenomena from yeah. the 50s, right? Yeah, so. they don't take into account that. I want to see a fucking black triangle on their Twitter feed. <clears throat> like, Look, oh, yeah, check these out, boys. Forget the fucking shape of the triangle. You know, I don't yeah. care about the shape. When those objects display maneuverability that is exactly. allegedly incapable, you know, of being copied by conventional aircrafts, then there's when you can't explain those sightings as, you know, just the result of someone uh, <coughs> confusing a YouTube plane for a flying saucer. And didn't you mention that was uh, in Norway too? that they're explaining most of the Norway sightings from that time period? Yeah, and I think that Micah uh, discussed this a bit. On the ghost rockets? On the Micah Hengshun. Yeah, but remember, you know, the ghost rockets in the the Scandinavian countries, I think it happened in 1946. Yeah, I think it was before the 50s, yeah. So it was before. So what about the... That was the U-1. (laughs) <laughs> Does, are they trying to explain that being the Hestelin lights or however you call that too the the Hestelin lights in Norway no eh? that's not supposed to be an explanation for those is it they don't even care about explaining that no, you know? no. They're, they're just in, a, in this 272 page document what, what I just read to you is the only time they, they, they mentioned UFOs that little teeny fire tiny paragraph and that's it yeah um i'd like to hear what our feedback from our our norwegian listeners see what they say about that 
And yeah. the, it's funny because I've heard somebody else talking about Blue Book recently. I think they they wrote a book on the Hudson Valley sightings. Oh. And I would love to do a summary of the sightings from Blue Book and the explanation that they have beside it. Well, you know, James Fox is is finishing up this, oh, right. this yeah, new yeah. documentary, right? I think it's seven to one. Is oh, yeah, name? yeah. We should have him on, yeah. Who, what, yeah. where, what? J James Fox. Who's James Fox? He, oh, man. Oh, man. How come everyone <laughs> says, oh, man, when I ask when someone asks? Because it's a very important... Uh, documentary. Yeah, filmmaker. Well, he, he did, like, he did uh, Out of the Blue and, and I Know What I Saw. Pretty yeah. profound. Uh, actually, his, his UFO DVD that I... I think I gave you his DVD from Open Minds. You should watch it. It's he's really it's a really good presentation of his that, journey yeah, through of the, the filmmaking. Volumes worked, remember? Yeah, yeah, no, that, that was good. No, anyone. no, that was. He appeared on. He appeared on Larry King on a number of occasions. You know, thought, uh, talking about UFOs and uh, you know discussing it against uh, this guy. You know, the science guy it was Bill Nye. Bill know? Nye, oh boy. Yeah, and and it's a. You know, terrible performance on his part because every time you know James tried to raise a serious and valid point, Bill Nye would respond with mockery like "Ooh," like saying, Ugh, "You know." Oh, and that's disgusting. It's disgusting. So, anyways, his new documentary, Darren, is called Seven. What is it? Seven o one. Seven o one, which is the amount of unexplained sightings in Blue Book, I think, right? Yeah. Or is that? Is that Should right? have made it seven ten. And we should infer also that those 701 is also taking out those uh, UFO cases that were actually, you know, sightings of uh, CIA spy planes. <laughs> yeah, that would be down to like 300. Because they wouldn't leave them there. But there's another uh, part of that blue book thing, right? So there's 701 unexplained, but then there's a whole other category that's not really discussed, right? Yeah, the unknown or the un the there's the unexplained ones and then there's the unknowns or something. I think that the ones that they took out of Blue Book are the unexplained and those who were a matter of national security. Those were on a completely different uh compartment compartmental ah another, another yeah. Then another different uh, project, you know, mm. one one we just don't know because it still remains top secret. Wow, that's a good that's a good one, Red. Thanks. My pleasure. I don't. I wonder if I've seen Into the Blue. I think I watched a bit. Out of, of the it. blue. Out of the blue. Oh yeah, Into, <laughs> into the, the Blue into is the, blue the one is about else. diving in bikinis and stuff yeah, like that. This yeah. is Out of the Blue. <laughs> yes, I mean nothing. Nothing wrong with that, but. Did you hear about that new big bird they found in South Carolina? I saw Alan Boyle from the Cosmic Log uh, tweet, tweet about that, and I did copy-paste the link, but I didn't read it. I think they first found the bones like 30 years ago or something, though, so I don't know how it's just getting figured out now, but basically it's like a giant seagull with the fucking 40-foot yeah, uh, wingspan. 40-foot? Yeah. What? 24. 24. No, as long as a school bus. How long is a school bus? A school bus has got to be well, 40 feet. Well, the short feet. bus. They Six said by... as long as a short bus. Oh, is it a short bus? 24. <laughs> ground, ground knows all about the short bus. 
<laughs> An RPJ seems to know even better. He's like, no, it's 24 feet. Tell him yeah. you've been on that bus. <laughs> 7.2 meters, man. That's that's impressive. Yeah, that is pretty big. So you think that was responsible for all the Thunderbird? Feet is nothing. What? What's an e an eagle's probably like ten feet. Oh, that's ass a book of knowledge. Yeah, I mean, seven. If I imagine seeing a seven point two meter wingspan of a bird flying over you, you know, I mean, it would be. That's why they call like, it the Thunderbird, because then fucking the seat, the giant seagull shits on you. Yeah, or you can just already even if it shits in the bush beside you, just like. <laughs> <laughs> So it hasn't been proven to be a fake yet or anything like that? I'm surprised that somebody hasn't jumped all over that. Well, I, I don't know. Like uh, like I said, I haven't read the article. Oh, by the way, uh, do you guys remember how uh, I mentioned this uh, new scientific theory during the roundtable with Daniele and Rich? This one that said that uh, uh, human face was molded by millions of years of uh, fist fights between our ancestors, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so Chris, Chris Ryan wrote a blog about it in Psychology Today, and he tore the, the theory to pieces. Ah, good. I didn't like that theory. I mean, he's, <clears throat> not only from the point of view of, um, yeah, I mean, the, the the guy has practiced martial arts for many years, so he knows that you know. For a martial artist, you know, to to go and punch uh, in the face someone, you know, and the face is really not really the best place to 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 lay a punch, you know, it would be better, you know, if that was the case, you know, it would be better to. We should have also evolved, you know, some kind of <laughs> a bone protection around our balls, you know, <laughs> for yeah. all those beatings. Yeah, but wouldn't it be, wouldn't you want to damage the guy's look so that he doesn't get all the, the birds afterwards? I don't, I don't think that. No, I think no? if you go and, and did battle back in those days was to the death, I think. Yeah, probably, eh? So, hey, we got some wingspans on a chart here. Looks like the biggest one, really, is the California condor from, I don't know if this is just North America or whatever, but bald eagles are 90 inches. California condor is like 9 feet, which is 108 inches. So you're talking about a bird that's over twice the wingspan of the longest bird that's on this list. Yeah, I don't know. There's an eagle here at 2.8 meters, a Phil Philippinian. Philippinian eagle? Hey, how about this? Uh, this bird is pretty big, 90 inches. Look at the size of that fucking thing, man. It's the same size as that dude. Can you imagine seeing that fucking thing drop down out of the sky at you? Yeah, I could pick you right up. Ooh, look at what the a, mouth on him. What about the magnificent frigate bird? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> 2.8 meters, twice that. But it's a seagull. Imagine yeah, how big, big the eagles were back then. Back then? When did they, how old did they say this thing was? I don't know, it's not, it didn't just like die yesterday, I'm sure. Oh, I <laughs> thought it was more of like a recent find. Red, how old is this thing supposed to be? I don't know, I didn't read the fucking article. Well, well, I got okay. it right here. 
25 million and 28 million oh, years ago. Oh, I thought it was so recent. So the eagle had like a fucking 100 foot wingspan and was just <laughs> picking these things off right out of the sky, I bet. The eagle back then? Mm-hmm. If there were seagulls back then, why wouldn't there be eagles? There's no bounds. The found. seagull was the top of the food chain? Does it say, maybe, uh, does it say what uh, did these big ass seagulls eat? Mexicans. <laughs> okay. Yeah, burritos can do that to you. No, they were 40 kilos. Yeah, that's that pretty weight. heavy. It's 100 pounds or so, maybe? That's pretty yeah, heavy. That's 100 that's, pounds, 110. That's pretty heavy for, for, for a bird airborne. that flies, yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, they don't know what it ate. Probably seagull shit. Garbage. Garbage from the Nephilim trash. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that explains it. All right, so we should move on here. We're gonna, we've got some pretty fascinating guests coming up. We've got, uh, like I mentioned, Philip Camello, The Collapse of Materialism, and we've also got... Um, David McGowan? Yeah, yeah. Something about... Uh, weird some things inside the canyon? Weird things in Laurel Canyon, the dark heart of the hippie movement or something. That's going to be absolutely fascinating. Okay, so we're going to get a lot of hate from the New Age 5D, 5D community. That's Why? okay. We've been Why? pretty nice to the New Age community lately. Why do you say that, Red? Because of the dark side of the hippie movement? Well, um, we, we, we already know that. Charles Manson was the dark side of the hippie movement, but now they're going. To, this guy is probably going to say that everything in the, the hippie movement was dark. No, 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 no. I don't think so. I don't think that's what it's about. That you know that uh, make make love, not war. You know, peace and all that was just a way to to keep the the, the younger generation subdued. You know, instead of really fighting a revolution that would over, overturn the the government. Now they, yeah, but, nowadays they do it by legalizing weed. Yeah, but I don't think that'll piss off the New Agers <laughs> at all. It doesn't piss me off, and I consider myself more on the New Agey side of things. Oh, yeah, the New Agers <laughs> aren't hippies. They're just like weird hybrid. It will, it will piss you off if uh, I think these people have said that Terrence McKenna worked for the CIA. Bingo, bango, I believe that. Oh, please. He's probably running the CIA Twitter account. He faked his death <laughs> so that oh. they could fake his death for 10 years and come back and run the CIA Twitter account. There you go, folks. You heard it here first. He yeah, only takes that one to make the rounds. Yeah, so I think, uh, do you got anything else before we, uh, before we're going to play our chat with our money bomb winner, uh, before we jump into the interview with Sheldrake? Don't forget, we got the UFO quote, too. Oh, yeah, shit. I thought you we guys, just fucking skipped that this week. You guys, watch, you know what you should do instead of trying to raise a, a money bump? What's that? A potatoes, potato salad Kickstarter campaign. Oh, yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I wrote about that, you know, uh, due to that uh, link that someone tweeted. You know, so this guy, you know make uh, like a joke Kickstarter campaign you know he say, the guy say basically I'm just making potato salad I haven't decided what kind yet you know 
and you know try to to raise you know like ten money ten dollars to see if, if if someone would convince him to do the potato salad, but now guess how much money this guy has raised by now? I think it was like twenty seven thousand, wasn't it? Well, I don't know. Last time I checked was twenty three thousand five hundred and eighty six. You know, it could e- it could easily be more than thirty thousand by now. Who retweeted the, it? I don't know, but I mean, the guy, the campaign still has twenty five days to go. What's he gonna? Is he gonna have to give all these fucking people that uh, contributed? Is he gonna have to send them a bowl of potato salad? I think so, and I think that Oof, I, I just give the money back, man. Thirty grand ain't worth sending out fucking five hundred <laughs> bowls of potato salad. Well, that's that's the other the 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 flip side of the coin of Kickstarter. You know that no matter how much money you quote unquote raise, they get a very hefty cut of it. You know, and then what you're left, maybe not. Maybe it's not enough to to pay for all the costs of the all of all the things you promised to your uh, backers. Just hire a couple, you know, illegal immigrants to do it for you. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, my what mom. What did you say? That my mom makes a mean potato salad. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Subcontracted the whole job to Mexico. <laughs> yeah, so I think that now we need to make the Gramerica macaroni <laughs> experience. <laughs> you know, maybe we could ask for. One million dollars, you know. We could easily sell a million bucks worth of moon real estate. I think if we start pushing that hard. Well, I think you should have already done so, man. So far, well, I've been trying to. Uh, I've been trying to sell moon real estate for a couple episodes now, and I haven't even got anyone kicking the tires yet. No, yeah, good luck with that one. Especially since they. Uh, just That's because you haven't done done it properly you need to make like some kind of a pitching video you know you need to show like ram wearing show. A, a, a moon suit or something <laughs> you got to show the pics of the jade rabbits the dark side all the uh, structures on the dark side of the moon that'll get people excited Ooh, yeah uh, i'll sell it you can even buy a structure five grand you pick a structure yeah okay this so it says this yours. hilariously adding um Stretch goals to keep pace with the donations. Trying two different recipes after reaching $100. Throwing a pizza party at 75 Live stream the potato salad's creation. Three The $3 reward is a bite of potato salad. So everyone <laughs> who donated $3 gets a bite of potato salad. That's a lot of bites. Show me potato salad. Is it deviled egg potato salad? Ooh, I'm in. I'll, yeah, but it, it needs to be made if with the eggs. Egg, potato salad, and we'll donate. It needs to be made with the eggs of that uh, twenty-four foot, twenty-four foot long seagull. You know, <laughs> like Thunderbird eggs. Thunderbird you know? egg omelet. Where yeah. I wonder where he is. If he's in Britain, then fucking forget it, because I don't want no, him shipping my in, potato in, salad uh, goes bad. I think he's in Ohio. I'm yeah, Columbus, Ohio. If he throws it in, of course he's in Columbus. If he throws, if he throws it in, uh, in a cooler, it might make it. Could make it to Canada. All right, guys. Well, I think uh, that about wraps it up. We'll jump into our. Oh yeah. And that is time for 
Graham's profound UFO quote of the week. Now on the website. It's too bad I didn't have one that I could find from the CIA. I should probably get one from the CIA to match uh, Red's story. Mm-hmm. Maybe the profound UFO quote of the week is the that was us. All right. Maybe. So the UFO incident occurred on the USS John F. Kennedy in the summer of 1971. We observed a large glowing sphere over the ship. It looked huge. I would say it was anywhere from three or 400 feet to a quarter of a mile, depending on how high it was. That ain't no U2. <laughs> a few days later, the commanding officer looked at the camera. It's a U3. And I will never forget this. And he said, I would like to remind the crew that certain events that take place on board a major combat vessel are considered classified and should not be discussed with anyone without the need to know. That was the U.S. Navy National Security Agency, James Kopf, DP. DP? Yeah. Sounds kinky. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, what do you think? I wonder, you know, how many UFO incidents have been witnessed by military personnel and they are unable to to disclose it for, for fear of the repercussions, you know, losing their pension, getting getting in jail they're all just cia planes anyway though we don't even have to worry about that anymore the ufos are solved hey i got somebody from uh the department of physics that kind of fit in with maybe rupert sheldrake oh nice what are you asking for a twofer yeah can i do another one what do you think red yeah i think we can go for a second one all right. Okay, 50,000 virtually reliable people have reported sighting unidentified flying objects. From available information, the UFO phenomena appears to be have been global in nature for almost 50,000 years. This leaves us with the unpleasant possibility of alien visitors to our planet, or at least of alien-controlled UFOs. The best thing to do is to keep an open and skeptical mind and not take an extreme position on any side of the question. USAF Introductory Space Science Volume 2 Department of Physics United States Air Force So did you just quote a textbook? I did Isn't that more of a Is that called a quote? Isn't that like a, a footnote? No What's, what's no, the technical term for that? It's a book quote Yeah it's A, quote. a book You're quote? You are quoting a book I don't like it <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to allow it this time, but no more textbook quotes. All right, buddy. Okay. What does virtually reliable mean? That uh, is almost certain. Yeah. Virtually reliable? Yeah. Means yeah. almost certain? Yeah. Yeah. I don't Even know. A, a 99% certainty. Kind of like the global climate change enthusiast. Was, no, I don't, I don't think that's right. I'm going to type that into my... My uh, sidekick here. Anyways, we should move on with the uh, episode, I think, here. So uh, we're going to have a quick little uh, talk with our Money Bomb 50-50 draw winner, Nick. And then we're going to move on to uh, our boy. episode with uh, Rupert Sheldrake. Darren would like to apologize to Nikki from last week, calling him a female. Nick is actually a dude. Okay. Oh, and we have to apologize to uh, our Kiwi ambassador. All right. What were you? We were talking. Was it last? I just episode? said that we had a Kiwi flag up here. That I, that I should have mentioned that, that somebody had sent us a Moai. 
We should, um, have, we should have mentioned that that was our Kiwi ambassador. Our sensitive we Kiwi ambassador. We're just, oh, we're just testing to see if you still listen. He's yeah, exactly. Broken. We weren't sure if he still listens, so now we He's know. He's heartbroken by now. Yeah. He's never going to talk so to So Google has never heard the phrase virtually reliable, just saying. <sighs> well, it's in a USAF textbook, so. Yeah. Classified. Who makes those? United States government? Yeah, I, know, I guess so. Full of mumbo jumbo. All right, guys. Uh, anyway, we'll play you out here with the money bomb winner Nick, and then we'll jump into our chat with Sheldrake, and then we'll uh, see you guys after that. Boom. Okay, we're here with uh, Nick, our, our our latest money bomb winner. But first, how's it going tonight, buddy? Hey, Darren, I'm doing good. How are you, Nick? Hey, doing well, thank you. Hey, thanks for subscribing and uh, thanks for entering the uh, Grand America Moneybomb 5050. So, uh, as we mentioned in the last episode, there, uh, you got what, 100, just about 100 bucks? Yes, yes. It was a, a pleasant surprise. I mean, because I've only been a subscriber for a week or two. Uh, I didn't even know if y'all had gotten it in yet or not. And then I get a. a thing from PayPal saying you put a hundred dollars in my account and I was like, Wow <laughs> I'm I'm way ahead right now. <laughs> hopefully the uh hopefully the exchange didn't kill you too bad. Our last winner was in the States too, so our money's not worth quite as much up here, but Yeah, I noticed that I was getting a bargain when I sent y'all the five dollars a week, but it turned out just a little less than that. So uh, So how uh, that changes. So thanks for listening to the show. Is there is there any episodes you have that sort of stood out for you? Anything like that? Well, uh, I think I ran into y'all. I was looking for uh, Scotty Roberts. I'm a big fan of his, and uh, of course, then you talked to him and John together there later on, and that's a good one. Uh, Dennis McKenna is another good one. Uh, I just listened last night. We y'all were talking to Sarah. Uh, not sure about her last name there. Check but, uh, that. Yes, uh, yes, that was a that was a good interview. I, there's a lot of, uh, you know, the the healing within. I think attitude means a lot, but a a, a little that uh, Cree John stuff. I'm not really sure about, but uh, you know, but if you believe, that that's the one thing that I really uh, uh, feel you know strongly about. Your mind can do a lot of good things. Yeah, it can't really it can't really happen if you don't believe, or it's a lot easier if you do believe. That's for sure. Yeah, I've, how, I've always felt that. How about uh, guests uh, or topics that you'd like to hear about? Well, uh, kind of along the lines that y'all follow a lot of uh, dreams is one thing that I've kind of always kind of been interested in. That's uh, the one thing that I can say I've had a maybe a peek across the veil or whatever is I've had a couple of dreams that uh, actually communicated with uh, my my daughter one time and then a, a good friend I used to room with. So wow, I've, I've had that happen a couple times. So, yeah. So were they were they living at the time, or had they passed on? Uh, yeah. Well, my daughter was four, and I was uh, I was working away from her, but uh, I just happened to get a a night off, an unexpected night off, so it made me a long weekend. And and her birth her fourth birthday was that weekend, so I hardly made me a plane reservation. He was going to fly in to see her and surprise her, but that night. Uh, you know, I was excited about that. Uh, we, she found out in a dream that night, and she told my parents and 
uh, her grandparents on the other side. And, of course, they're all trying to calm her down because none of them know I'm coming. <laughs> so when I walk through the door, they're all just shocked, you know. Her mouth open, but she's sitting there smiling. I told you. I told you. He told me last night. I'm wow. Too, you know. And yeah. and you, and you so, were in your dream. In your dream, you were telling her? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, what shocked me later on was she started relating the story to me, and she told me where we were sitting. And, and then, really, I, it didn't jog it jogged my memory then that she was right. I remember that, you know, that setting in my dream also. So, Wow, that's, a, know, a, that's yeah. a great story. Yeah, that is it. a great story. Yeah, we yeah, want to do it. We want to do a podcast on lucid dreaming. I, I've got a little kit from the Monroe Institute that I still haven't really opened, and uh, I tried it a while back. But there, we were just talking about that last night. How we want to get into a, an episode on dreaming. Yeah, I thought about it, I, I thought about it when Darren talked about it. Uh, his daughter has said things like that, you know. And and I think the kids are a little more cognizant of that sort of thing, you know. Uh, they, they I don't know. You know, the fresh mind or whatever it is. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's pretty pretty wild to me sometimes. I think it's something to do with, well, they're in a, still a fresh incarnate. They can still kind of <laughs> remember the in-between. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. That's good. So, uh, well, thanks for listening. What's he going to do with it? Oh, yeah. What, do, what are you, you going to do with uh, your hundred bucks? Uh, I don't know, really. I, I just spent about a hundred on my phone getting it. Uh, uh, fixed up, so you know that that kind of takes care of that. Also, but I might just go out and blow this, you know. Perfect. There nothing, you go. That's nothing better to do with. That's right. Talk yeah. to the guy Americans on your new phone. Yeah. yeah All right. right. Uh, Thanks a lot. I did Nick. have one question. Okay, yeah, yeah. I did have one question for you. Who did you as a flyer? That that flyer thing. You, you know, you're going to pass out. That was my. That was my wife. Pass? Really? It's, man, it's pretty. I, I tried to uh, print some at work last night, but of course, I only got a black and white printer. It still looks good, but the the, the one on the website really, looks really nice. It's well, really nice. technically, the artwork was done by uh, Red Pill Junkie. Okay. And then my wife did the, turned it into a flyer for us. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, well, just, uh, we, we owe you an email address, too, so shoot... Uh, Shoot me or Graham an email and uh, let me know what you want for an address, and I'll set that up for you. Okay. I, I appreciate that. I'll, we'll, we'll work that out. I just hooked up with you all on Facebook today, so uh, uh, we'll start, uh, I'm going try to try to see if we can grow these numbers, so, man. I, I appreciate what y'all doing. Right on. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's great to have you listening, and, and congratulations again. All right. All right. We'll talk soon.
Okay, guys, uh, this morning here on the Grand America Show, we're going to be talking with uh, Rupert Sheldrake, a uh, man we've been trying to and hoping to, to track down for a while, and we've finally been lucky enough to do so. Uh, but first, how's it going, Graham? Hey, Darren. I'm doing great, man. I'm excited. We've had uh, Rupert Sheldrake on our guest wish list here, and beside his name is just the man. So we're pretty pretty excited to have him here. You know, anytime the skeptic, the guerrilla skeptics are battling over your wiki page, you know you're doing something that's pretty revolutionary. And uh, last year, he was uh, Rupert was among the top 100 global thought leaders for 2013, as ranked by the Detwiller Institute in Zurich. That's Switzerland's leading think tank. And he's written many books, some that our, our listeners will be aware of, like stuff like uh, Seven Experiments That Could Change the World, Dogs That Know When Their Owners Are Coming Home, The Sense of Being Stared At. Um, his latest is The Science Delusion. That's kind of like in response to The God Delusion. That's freeing the spirit of inquiry. So we've got, uh, you know, he's got a huge bio page here. I'm just summarizing it and we'll uh, let Rupert tell us more. Welcome to the show, Rupert. Good to be with you. Thank you so much. So it's, uh, we really appreciate your time here. And, uh, you know, a lot of, I've been hearing your name all over the place lately in the last, especially in the last year or two. And a lot of your, your past work has kind of been probably brought up to the surface. So what's, what's going on? What's new with, uh, with your research these days? Well, part of what I'm doing is, is the agenda in the science delusion, um, which in America is called science set free. Right. Thanks for pointing that out. Title. Um, that's an attempt to, move things on in the world of science by looking at these assumptions that have become far too dogmatic and looking at how we can question them and move things on. And this is now part of a movement. And as um, I went to a conference in the United States in February this year, which led to the launch of a new movement called the Campaign for Open Science. And so there's a group of us now working together on trying to, we're all scientists, uh, trying to open things up in science. Now, we haven't yet come out in public with this campaign. We're preparing the website and all that at the moment. Um, but that's part, a big part of my work is this attempt to try and move things forward in science in, certain, in various areas. Morphic resonance, one of my main areas of research, memory and nature, um, psychic phenomena like telepathy. Um, and then there's other areas of unconventional research, which um, I think could be the growing points for the new science. So that's one of my big preoccupations at the moment. Another is um, going ahead with my own research projects. I have uh, an automated uh, telephone telepathy test that works on mobile phones. I'm just developing a new version of that at the <laughs> moment. We're testing it out. Um, it'll go live, I hope, within a matter of weeks. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, well, I've so tried that. These are the, that's what the, those are some of the things I'm up to. I can't think of a more noble, noble cause than to try and move that science forward. Like, um, I was going to ask you, I mean, you're, you're right on the front line with the, with the skeptics there. Um, you know, you've got your website is open for anybody to look at your responses to their, to their uh, criticisms of you and that type of thing. So I, I don't know. I just think that's a great, a great thing you're trying to do. It must be very tiring, though. Well, it's annoying to have to deal with the same kinds of arguments over and over again and the problem you know i've had no problem with genuine skepticism which right, is right. about inquiry that no i think of myself as a skeptic um the problem i have is with sort of ideologically driven dogmatic skeptics who feel they need to debunk anything that goes against the 
materialist worldview, the doctrine, the mind's nothing but the brain, that, and, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was giving a talk at the Glastonbury Festival just a few days ago, and you know most people there were quite open, but there always has to be one of these dogmatic skeptics, and who says, you know, um, you know, there's no evidence for this, and it, it turns out that they haven't looked at the evidence. They don't want to know about the evidence. It's a, it's a really tedious to have to deal with that, but it has to be dealt with because they have a lot of influence, and there are many people who are genuinely curious, uh, who genuinely want to know the evidence, and who don't realise it's there. Um, so this is an ongoing struggle. It's very important to to engage with skeptics. I find. Yeah, that's funny. That kind of goes right with something RPJ just just texted me to ask you at some point, and he says uh, it's a quote by Arthur Schopenhauer. That's uh, basically all truth passes through three stages. First, it's ridiculed. Second, it's violently opposed, and third, it's accepted as being self-evident. Um, do you think we're getting any closer to being in the third stage of that, or are we still still stuck back in the first? Well, I think it depends what you're looking at. For example, some of my research has been on psychic phenomena in dogs. You know, this is summarized in my book, Dogs That Know When Their Owners Are Coming Home. Not just dogs, but cats, horses, parrots, other animals. Now, when it comes to the question of can dogs or cats pick up your intentions telepathically, the great majority of people in the population are completely open to that. I mean, after all, in America, more than 50% of households have pets. And people who live with these animals notice these things. And so that's a really kind of mainstream view. Yes, of course they do, most people would say. And when it comes to things like, can you tell when someone's calling on the phone? Do you ever have the experience of thinking of someone who then rings? And you say, it's funny, I was just thinking about you. About 80% of the population have had those experiences. So we're talking here something that's very mainstream, very common, very normal. And most people actually don't question it. Um, it's the skeptics who are really in a kind of minority position of trying to say this is impossible, it doesn't really happen, etc. Um, so I don't think that they actually represent the mainstream of opinion. They may represent the kind of mainstream of opinion within certain rather dogmatic scientific circles, but if we take the population as a whole, they're actually quite a small minority. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, it, most of the people I talk to on a day-to-day basis are fairly open-minded and it seems like the further we go on here the more people have let's say unexplainable experiences or strange experiences i mean we talk about all kinds of stuff on this show like paranormal encounters or psychic phenomena or energy healing that type of thing and and it seems like um there are skeptics there are scientists that are having experiences whether it's like a ufo sighting that are kind of bringing them over to more of an open-minded side of things so i think that's also helping over time Yes, I think so, and and for people being able to recognize their own experience. I mean, scientists, after all, are normal people, or at least most of them are. And um, the when I've given talks on telephone telepathy in scientific institutes, you know, I've asked people, you know, have you had this experience? And you know, about eighty percent of scientists have had these experiences too. Um, they may try and explain them away, um, but. Uh, whenever I talk in scientific institutions um, or in, in universities and research institutes, um, 
after my talk, I always have people coming up to me and saying, you know, I've had these experiences. I can't talk about them to my colleagues because mm-hmm. they're all so straight. <laughs> and often quite a lot of people from the same department tell me the same thing, um, which is why I think that what will really change the sciences is a kind of coming out movement uh, among scientists, because a lot of them already know these things happen. Um, they'd like to have kind of scientific evidence to as it were, authenticate what they already know from their own experience. Um, And most of them are indeed shy to talk about these things with their colleagues because there is still this taboo. But I think the best way of weakening the taboo is just to ignore it. And that's what I do myself. Do you think uh, over-specialization is becoming a problem in science as well? I think that's part of it. But um, it's the, 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 the... prejudice against psi phenomena and things that go against the materialist worldview is not just that, because after all, popular science magazines like New Scientist um, explain all sorts of things in cosmology and quantum physics and so forth. But they don't write, they don't publish articles in, in these other disputed areas, partly because they're afraid and partly because some members of their staff are you know, strongly materialist and rather dogmatically skeptical. Um, but there's no, so people are very often not aware of unconventional scientific research and um, things that aren't part of the materialist mainstream, even though it's published in journals and so forth, because it's not often written about in mainstream scientific or general publications. Hmm. Can you can you explain to us for, for let's say for people that aren't really too familiar with your work, could you summarize what the difference between your sort of um, hmm, worldview on sort of evolution or biological evolution or the memory of biology like you talk about compared to the mainstream sort of evolutionary theory? Yeah. Um, I mean, first of all, I'm totally into evolution. That's, you know, it's the basis of my theory is yeah. that it's evolutionary. Um, I think that biological evolution is part of a much larger process, cosmic evolution, that's been going on in the whole cosmos since the Big Bang. And that this evolution doesn't just involve the evolution of the universe, it getting bigger, the appearance of stars, planets, crystals, molecules, and so forth. Um, but it involves the evolution of the laws of nature as well. The usual assumption in science is that all the laws of nature were fixed at the moment of the Big Bang, and they've been the same thereafter. Um, I don't think that's the case. That's just a huge assumption. We've no way of proving it. Um, I think that the so-called laws of nature are more like habits and that they build up through repetition as the universe evolves. Mm. And my theory of morphic resonance is really a theory of how this memory works, how cosmic habits build up and how there's a kind of collective memory in each species. The idea of morphic resonance is that similar patterns of activity influence across space and time subsequent similar patterns. And this leads to Um, a new interpretation of biological inheritance. Genes code for proteins, everybody agrees about that, but they don't, in my view, code for the forms of organisms, the behavior or the instincts of animals. Those depend on morphic resonance. They're inherited through this kind of collective memory. And similarly, um, most scientists assume that our, our own memories are stored inside our brains, and that they're somewhere inside the head, although no one quite knows how or where. Um, But what I would say there is that that, again, is a case of morphic resonance. The brain's more like a 
TV receiver mm. than um, a video recorder. And the reason we tune into our own memories is because we're more similar to ourselves in the past than we are to anybody else. But we also tune into other people's memories, and that's part of the collective memory phenomenon that the psychologist Jung called the collective unconscious. <laughs> so those are some of the ways. In, in my book, Science Set Free, I show you how the ten dogmas of science uh, can all be interpreted and it can, can be revised and we can have new possibilities. Those are some of the dogmas that memories are stored in the brain, that inheritance happens only through genes and epigenetics, and um, that the laws of nature are fixed. And those are all ones where my own theory of morphic resonance challenges the established view. Speaking of, uh, of the laws of, uh, laws of the universe and such, um, have you seen, as someone has challenged the theory of the speed of light before, have you seen the, the new paper by James Franzen uh, challenging yes, just that? I've just seen it, yes. It's very interesting. And, um, you know, I've always thought that the speed of light thing is one of the dogmas. In fact, in Science Set Free, I discuss it in the chapter on, you know, the laws being fixed, because people assume the constants are fixed, too. Um, Yes, I think these, you see, as soon as these things start being discussed, as, as this recent work on the speed of light does, all sorts of new possibilities open up. Science gets much, much more interesting. And I'm really pleased that this debate is opening up. I hope he um, is able to carry it forward. So have you seen an increase in your work since the whole TED fiasco? Well, certainly far more people are aware of um, my work since that fiasco, because when my TEDx talk was removed from their main website, um, this led to a big controversy. When they, when they took it down, it, it had 35,000 views. It's now had at least a million uh, <laughs> worldwide. So um, it was actually a help rather than a hindrance. Yeah, that's kind of and, what I was getting at, yeah. Yes. And it's made um, the idea of questioning this kind of dogmatism in science, I think more widespread, and I hope that more people within the sciences are doing this. Plenty of people outside science are now questioning science because it's obvious to a lot of people that some scientists are very dogmatic. Um, but within the sciences, what will change things is when young scientists feel empowered to do research rather differently from the traditional way. And right now, it's very hard for them to do that because if they're afraid of losing funding and not getting on in their careers and so forth. So the problem is, I think, more to do with the sociology and funding and structure of science than it is to do with the actual scientific arguments. Um, so what's really needed is, is, is a fresh approach to uh, funding, for example. And this is where some of these uh, wealthy uh, individuals could come in because I don't think government science funding is likely to change anytime soon. It's controlled by a whole bureaucracy dominated by establishment scientists. But um, if any wealthy person really wants to make a difference, funding unorthodox science might be one of the very best ways to do it. Hmm. Yep. Um, one thing I've got to ask you uh, before we run out of time is uh, we do on our show, we do a little seg segment on uh, synchronicity and, and people send them in and I kind of rate them uh, rather harshly. But, um, but it is something we're definitely interested in. What's your take on, on synchronicity and, and what, what would you define a synchronicity as? Well, some, when, when Jung, who introduced the word, it, it used it, he, 
used it in a very wide sense to include things that could be called telepathic or psychokinetic, you know, mind over matter or telepathy events. I, I take synchronicity to be, I, I put those in different categories. I take the, it to be more a matter of meaningful coincidences where seemingly separate events coalesce to, to give a kind of meaning. Um, now that, I have no explanation for that. I mean, it's a morphic resonance. My own theory is really a theory of habit. It doesn't explain synchronicity, which is precisely remarkable because it's not habitual, it's unexpected, it's not what usually happens. Um, so I think there's an element of freedom and creativity in the universe. Um, the whole of evolution must depend on an interplay between habit and creativity. And synchronicity may be part of that creative spirit that works through everything um, in ways we don't understand. Um, so, but that's pretty vague, and I, I, you know, I don't have a testable theory of synchronicities. I just find them fascinating, as most people do. Um, and they show there's something going on that's not part of our normal framework of understanding. Uh, but beyond that, I don't think I've got very much to say. Well, I think that summed it up. <laughs> summed it up pretty pretty nicely. I think there's a lot of things going on behind our framework of understanding that uh, that maybe hopefully one day will start to peel out. Maybe this with these this um, large movement of people going to the Peru and the Amazon and, and psychedelics opening up. You know, in my personal opinion, that's one way to to peek through the veil. Yes, I think it can help. Uh, it does, still doesn't give us, it may give us more experiences, it doesn't give us uh, necessary explanations. Um, anyway, I'm afraid I'm going to have to leave you because I've, um, I've got this incredibly crowded schedule today. Um, but can I just mention that uh, if anyone's in the Pacific Northwest, from July the 23rd to the 22nd at Hollyhock on Cortez Island, British Columbia... Uh -huh. I'm giving a workshop called Aging and Growing Young Again with my two sons, Merlin and Cosmo, aged 26 and 24. Um, and we're all very excited about this. One of them's a biologist, Merlin Cosmo is a musician. Um, I was just at the Glastonbury Festival and um, I was talking there and they had a gig there at the same time with one of their bands, the Gentle Mystics. So um, I'm, I think this workshop will be really fun. So I'd like to mention it just in case anyone um, might be in that area or could go there, because of all the workshops I do, I think this will be the most interesting and creative uh, this year. And the details are on my website, which is www.sheldrake.org. Yeah, we'll link to all that in the show notes. Yeah, that sounds great. We're actually quite close to there. We're yeah, about a 12-hour we'll, drive from maybe there. Maybe we'll so. send Graham. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Send, well... <laughs> Check it out. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, go ahead. And we're doing a talk in, in Victoria as well, my wife and I, on Friday, July the 11th at Christchurch oh. Cathedral. Oh, it's my birthday. Oh, well, there you are. You're <laughs> not in Victoria, are you? Mm. <laughs> no, we're close. So we're in Calgary, so. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks for taking some time out of your busy schedule to come on the show today, uh, uh, Rupert. We hope your, your chat goes well tonight. And uh, hopefully we can do this again uh, down the road sometime for a little bit longer. Yes, indeed. I, hopefully later in the year or early next year, I should be a bit more free. Great. Thanks a lot. Continue the good battle. Okay. okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. All the best.
man, we're back to the Great America Show. That was our long-awaited chat with Rupert Sheldrake. Yeah, yeah, it would have been nice to go a little longer, but we'll take what we can get. It was definitely fun. Great chat. It's amazing how much you can pack into like 20, 25 minutes. Yeah, yeah, he gets right to the point. Yeah, and we got some new new dirt, some new stuff there. He's uh, doing that movement called the Campaign for Open Science, I think it's called. I'll have to check my notes there, but yeah, that's going to be, that's great. Like that's the type of thing that's going to change the change the world, man. Yeah, he's coming over to Canada. Yeah, big thanks to Rupert. I think he he was doing uh, doing the chat from uh, from the back office of his. Wasn't he doing a conference or a talk or something right away? Yeah, yeah, and he was just finished a like a three day thing in Glastonbury, I think. So. Always doing something. Yeah, that's good. Fighting the good fight. Yeah, that's great. He's on the front lines, just like uh, Philip. Yeah. Philip Camella. Philip Camella, yeah. We talked to him earlier. Uh, he's kind of along the same lines. That episode will come out uh, next week, week, probably the week after. Yeah, that's the collapse of materialism. I mean, I would say Rupert's quite a ways up the front, uh, you know, at the front lines. Philip's there. For sure. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so big thanks to Rupert for coming on. He's coming over to Canada here right away, wasn't he? Yeah, Victoria? to Vancouver Island. Yeah, Victoria. The, July 11th, I think, coming up uh, this weekend, he's doing something out there. Jesse Cole's in Victoria. So, hey, Jesse, check it out, man. Field reporter. Yep. A Grand American field reporter. Yeah. So, uh, next week, we're not sure who's coming out next week. We've got a whack of episodes. Yeah. Uh, like we said, they'll probably be coming out a little quicker than weekly now. To We're doing all these double interview nights and stuff like that, and we don't want them to pile up too much. Uh, we don't want too many to sit on the shelf, so we'll start firing some your way pretty quick here. Yeah, we probably won't be able to keep up this pace, but we don't want to push, uh, you know, we want to take advantage when people are available, so. Yep, and uh, of course, thanks to Nick for joining us. Nikki for joining us on the Money Bomb, winning the Money Bomb. Yeah, and uh, keep contributing. Uh, please helps out our expenses, helps the show stay afloat. Yeah, subscribe to the show. It's nice because... Um, you know, it helps us pay the bills. So let's try and get up to that 100 subscriber mark. The last two money bombs in a row have had to carry over. And plus, I think the show only took around 30 or $40 per. So let's try and get this one over in one month. And let's try and make this one the first uh, where we each get 100 bucks. The show gets 100 bucks and the listener gets 100 bucks. Yeah, and with a $5 subscription, um, Darren gets gives you an email address if you want one. He's only going to do 100 of them probably, so that's our goal, kind of 100 email addresses, 100 subscriptions. They'll keep us going at uh, pretty much at that rate. And yeah, and we do have – actually, I did want to mention, we do have a couple of people that donate monthly the same amount, and it's not on the subscription, and it's um, whatever amount they want. But uh, the people that are doing that, if they, if they want an email, if they're donating monthly and they want an email, they can go ahead and, and send, me a, send me an email, and, and we can probably make it happen. Sweet. And then the other thing you want to mention is this is all free content, right? Like we're not going to, we don't want to do ads. We don't want to be charging anything. We're not going to have a plus episode or anything like that or some, you know, Yeah, that content. seems the way a lot of the people are going and we decided uh, we're, we're not, we're not going to go that road. I mean, either we make it or break it as the money bomb. This is it. So. Yeah. And you don't have to, you don't have to donate or contribute money to get in either. You can send a picture of the flyer via email to anybody on the contact page. You could also send a postcard to the P.O. box. Yep. This is not a lottery. This is not a lottery. Cannot emphasize the fact that this is not a lottery enough. It's like a 50-50 draw. 
for money. <laughs> All right, guys, I think that's about it. Thanks for listening. Uh, we'll have everything in the show notes as usual, as well as all the music you heard. Tweet Darren at, at Gramerica. Spam the shit out of Gram. G-R-A-H-A-M at Gramerica.com.
Close yourself, six feet away. Try and keep them occupied until you 